Thank you for checking out the podcast of Eastern Assembly of God in Baltimore, Maryland. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us at www.easternassembly.org. What is Easter? It's so much more than a holiday full of Easter eggs, Easter candy, the Easter bunny. It's far more than in a moment of honesty. Where are our people lovers? Come on now, you don't need to be ashamed. It's all good. There you go. All right. I, I, I didn't dare try. They had, didn't they have like Peeps Coke or Peeps Pepsi or something? Who tried it and liked it? Anybody? Yeah, Scotty B said it was all right. All right. Easter is the day we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. We believe that Jesus went into the tomb dead and he came out alive. Listen, if you are skeptical of Jesus' resurrection but have never really looked into the facts surrounding the resurrection, can I just tell you the proof is there for Jesus' resurrection if you'll look into it. Let me me just give you one example. I could do the whole sermon over the proof of the resurrection. Let me just give you one example. So there were two Sauls in the Bible. There was King Saul of the old and Saul of the new. This, This illustration is about Saul of the new. Saul was a Pharisee. He was Jewish to the core. And he felt that Christians were a threat to Judaism. So he had no problem arresting them and even some, he, he ordered their execution. Here's what the Bible says about Saul. But Saul began to destroy the church. That's a pretty strong word. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. To, be, to, to put it short, Saul was the greatest enemy of the early church. Well, he went to Damascus to arrest more Christians. And on the way, the Bible says, a light shined from heaven. And, and out of the light, the Lord spoke to him. Now, how many know a voice can't speak to you if it's dead? He says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who is that? Boy, he says, it's Jesus. Saul said, oops. Right? So Saul goes to Damascus, and then we read this verse. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So how do you go, listen, literally one day on your way to arrest Christians... Next day, you're in the synagogue and saying, hey, remember this Jesus that I was resting you all over? He is the son of God. You need to serve him. There's only one reasonable explanation from that dramatic turnaround, that the Jesus who is alive appeared to Saul just as the Bible says. Saul's tremendous proof. He went on to write 13 books of the New Testament, uh, um, plant churches all over the place. Why, how? Simply because Jesus is alive. So here's where we're headed today. If Jesus is alive, I'm a pretty practical person. What, is, what does that mean to each of you today? If he is alive, what does it mean? Four points we're going to talk about today. Here's number one. If Jesus really is alive, you need to, be, you need to believe it. If Jesus is real and, and what the Bible says about him is real, this is no game. This is life and death. I heard this side. I'm going to try this side. If if Jesus is alive, this is no game. He is who he says he was. Amen? Now, let's be honest. Most people who are skeptical of Christianity, it's not because they've looked into the evidence of Christianity. For most of them, it's because they've run across a Christian who was not a very good example 
of what a Christian is. Oh, I had a workmate who was a Christian. He cussed like a sailor. You know, how could that be? Or I went to a church for a while and, and I got burned. Can I remind you this morning that someday you will not stand in front of a bad Christian? Someday you will stand before Jesus. And Christians' bad example of who Jesus is does not counteract the fact that he's alive. Are you listening? What does it mean to believe upon Jesus? Lots of people in a generic way. Oh, I believe in God. I believe in the big man upstairs. But friend, if he's alive, we're not talking about it. We're talking about grabbing a hold of him and holding on for dear life. We're talking about opening up your heart and opening up to him, to committing to follow him. I like the way John said it in John 1.12. He said, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name. In other words, they believed to the point of receiving. He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. See, there's your life. You're alive. Check your neighbor. Just give him a little pinch. All right, make sure they're alive. All right? Don't do that to me. All right, you're alive. Okay, Jesus is alive and offers life. So you've got to decide. You can only live for one. There can only be one number one. It's either going to be your life or it's going to be Jesus' life. See, the problem with your life is your life has been tainted with sin. But Jesus has the answer for that too. I like the way the Lord said it in Matthew 6, 20, 16, 25. He said this. For whoever wants to save his life will lose. In other words, I'm holding on to my life. I'm not giving it up. But whoever loses his life for me, I'm going to surrender to you, will find it. Pretty simple. right? Anybody in the house would, be, would gladly testify that I found true life when I found Jesus. Where are you? Come on, shout it out this morning. Would you do that? The Bible says this. For the thief, who is the thief? The thief is the devil, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Listen, if, if you believe that Jesus is alive, the only, the only logical thing to do is to bow your knee and say, it's no longer me. It's gonna be you from now on. Anybody in the house listen? Are you listening up in the balcony up there? Good to see you all this morning. Amen. Number two, if Jesus is alive, you need to know he's watching. Now, listen, how many of you know when you did things as a kid that you weren't really supposed to do, you didn't want to do it while dad was watching? And if dad was watching and you thought he wasn't watching, that was like the worst case scenario. You, you were caught red-handed. All right, listen. Nowadays, we can, we can use technology, mom and dad. You can get one of those Apple tags, stick it on the car your kid drives, and when they say, I'm going over to Scotty's house, you can be like, mm-hmm. Why were you over at Randy's house? You know, I got it. Come on, big eye in the sky. Are you with me, mom and dad? Amen? The problem is, listen, if you say I'm going to hold on to my life, I'm going to go my own way. The problem is Jesus is alive. He's watching. He's recording. And he has unlimited storage space. Tell you a story. True story. True Bible story. Naaman was a leper in the Bible. This is Old Testament. This is the stories in 2 Kings chapter 5. 
Naaman was a Syrian general who had leprosy, and he had heard that there was a prophet over in Israel who could possibly heal him. So he took many gifts with him, and he went and he stood at the door of Elisha the prophet. And sure enough, Elisha, Elisha didn't heal him, but the Lord healed him through Elisha. And Naaman was willing to give to Elisha the many camel loads of gifts that he had brought. But Elisha didn't feel led to receive them because I think he wanted Naaman to know that you can't buy anything from God. It's a gift. Isn't that good news? It's a gift. So Naaman heads back towards Syria. But Elisha's servant Gehazi couldn't bear the thought of all those gifts going back to Syria too. So he secretly, he thought secretly, ran after Naaman and made up some excuse as to why Naaman ought to give him some of the goods, which Naaman gladly did. Included in there was 150 pounds of silver. Multiply 150 times 16 ounces in a pound to about $25 in today's world. About $60,000 in just that moment, Naaman the leper gave to Gehazi. So Gehazi goes back, hides the stuff in his tent, And Elisha calls him. And here's where scripture picks it up. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? How did Elisha know that? Elisha's not God. God was watching. And God happened to share with Elisha what he saw. Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, men servants, or maidservants? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went out from Elisha's presence, and he was leprous as white as snow. Come on, Jesus is alive. He's watching. Don't get a lot of amens to that. It's a little scary. But the good news is, friend, and I've got good news, you can be forgiven. Come on, somebody. Jesus can take that recording mechanism, and in a moment, when you open up your heart, he can throw that thing in the sea of his forgetfulness. That's why the Bible says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as, help me, church. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like. Come on, anybody in the house grateful to be forgiven? To know that Jesus, because he's alive and because of what he did on the cross, he washed your sins away. Not only is he watching now, but let me totally change gears. I really felt like as I was preparing this, that someone, someone in the house that needs to hear that. He was watching when you were abused. Now, some people would say, and, and it's an okay question to ask, but let me just help you with this. Well, if, if he was watching and he's God Why didn't he do something about it? Why didn't he stop the person who brought me so much pain? Now, that could be a whole message, but let me just say that. When God created man with a free will, that free will is capable of doing tremendously good things and tremendously evil things. And God will not take back the free will that he gave to man lest we all be robots. So with man's free will, he is capable of doing hideous things, unfortunately, many of them to one another. And you may have been a product of that. But listen, because he was watching and because he's a merciful and benevolent and healing and compassionate God, you can go to him and say, Lord, were you watching when they did that to me? Probably if you could somehow see the Lord in that memory, you would see tears coming down from his eyes. He's not happy about what he would do to you, but he's just waiting for you to bring it to him. So he can bring healing to you. Listen, 
Psalm 147.3 says this. He heals the broken, brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. Come on, is there anybody in the house? Listen, don't, don't, don't raise your hand until till I get done. Is anybody in the house? That you found Jesus, you asked him and he forgave you. But you brought with you a lot of wounds. And as you've been following Jesus, Jesus has bring, bring, bringing healing to those dark places. Just, just, just wave your hand to somebody near you that needs to see that. Come on. Because he really does heal the brokenhearted and bind up their wounds. There was a woman in the Bible. She's kind of known as the woman with the issue of blood. And she had had a hemorrhage, a female hemorrhage, for 12 years. And in the Old Testament, that made you unclean. So this woman was alone. She was unclean. But when she heard Jesus was in town, some hope arose. And she thought to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. With all that blood loss, she certainly was weak. And there was a large crowd. Somehow she pressed through the crowd. And she touched Jesus. And what happened when she touched Jesus? Yeah, she became whole. And listen to me. If Jesus is alive, what Jesus did to this woman, you may not have physical hemorrhaging. You may have emotional hemorrhaging because of what's been done to you. Can I just tell you, because he's alive, he can bring healing to you as well this morning. Come on, put your hands together this morning. Would you do that? Thank Jesus. He is a healer. Number three. If Jesus is alive and you have received him, he is with you. Well, isn't he with everybody? Well, he's watching some. And he's not only with some. The Bible says he's literally in them. Christ in you, the hope of glory. How many of you know when you invite Christ in, he takes you up on that offer? Yeah, he, he, he comes in. We had a man... It's been a number of years ago, and I can't, I was trying this week to remember his name. I couldn't remember his name. But him and his wife had moved to the area because he had taken an engineering job here. And he came, he already knew the Lord, but I had an opportunity to sit down and talk to him. And he said, you know, I was born a Muslim. I was like, wow, I didn't know that. He's like, you know what brought me to Christ? I said, no. He said, well, he says, I had met some Christians, and they talked about how personal God was to the point of even the Lord living inside of them. And as a Muslim, that was almost incomprehensible because we believed as Muslim that God is afar off, that Allah's you know, too far away, too big for anybody to really know him. And when these Christians talked about knowing God in a personal way and, and God literally living in them, he said, after a while, it was more than I could resist. He said, I want to know this Jesus too. And he opened up his heart and he eventually died of cancer, but he went to heaven. Come on, somebody. He knew the Lord. Did you know that Jesus' last words to his disciples before he ascended into heaven were these words. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Sometimes, church, we act more like five-year-olds than mature Christians. And here's what I mean by that. You know, kid gets a little older, they want some independence. Mommy, I want to tie my own shoe. That's legitimate. Let them try when the five-year-old says, Mommy, I want to cook my own cupcakes, now you get a little afraid. They don't know how much a cup is. They're not even sure what the difference between the flour and the sugar. So you decide, well, we'll give this a try. You don't get cupcakes. You get a mess. And there's something in us that says, Lord, I got this. I'm good. I can handle this. And if you haven't figured this out about God, if you stiff-arm God, he'll step back and say, go ahead, make a mess. Oh, that we would learn 
if the God of the universe is with us, if he's in us, why on earth all day long wouldn't we just be saying, help me, Lord, I need your wisdom, I need your help, I don't know what's around the corner, but with you with me, I'd be okay. Come on, somebody, stop acting like a five-year-old. If you haven't figured this out yet, God wants you to be dependent on him. James 1.17 says this, every desirable and beneficial gift comes from heaven. I wonder how many desirable and beneficial gifts had your name on them, but have never been received. I got this, Lord. And God's like, I got the gift you need for that moment. Come on, somebody. I have the help you need. I love this verse in Isaiah 43. It says this, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. This is the Lord talking. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep you over. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Come on, what a promise. Paul, now I told you about Saul who got converted, the light from heaven, right? He was known as Saul prior to his conversion. After getting saved, he changed his name and went by Paul. Paul eventually was thrown in prison for preaching Jesus in Rome. And that meant he was going to have to stand before Caesar. And he wrote these words. He says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. And Paul's saying, look, a lot of you, I've won to the Lord. You're my converts. And you couldn't take time off work to come and go to court with me. This was, this was pretty serious. But then he writes these words, and I love this. But the Lord, everybody say, but the Lord. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Paul understood, man, it's nice to have earthly companionship. It's nice to have people there when you need them. But how many of you know there's going to come a time when the person you thought would be there for you isn't going to be there? Can I tell you a hope that we have if we believe her? The Lord is with you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Come on, amen? I told the story in the first service. I didn't, I didn't have it in my notes, but I thought of when I was a youth pastor in Elkhart, Indiana, there was a couple in the church and, and uh, they had been married for many years. They had planted churches. It seemed like they did everything together and, and he passed away and I, I felt so sorry for her. But one day, maybe a week or so after the funeral, I went over to her trailer and I, I, said, I said, man, it must be really, really terrible having lived with you. And I came to give, you know, to, to, to give her a, to be a pity party with her, you know what I mean? And, and uh, it must be horrible, I feel so bad. And she rebuked me. She said, don't you know, young man, that the Lord is always with you and that I will never be alone in this trailer. And I'm like, I'm like, man. But, but I've never forgotten. This, this woman believed that when God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, that's not to underestimate the pain she felt from missing her husband. It's just to overestimate the fact that she knew that now that he was gone, she could rely on the Lord to make up the difference. Can you say amen? amen? He's with you. I remember, how many of you, how many of you were actually at the marriage encounter with Ron and Suzanne? That's been seven, eight, 10 years ago. It's been a while. Um, this did not happen April 6th and 7th of this year. This was the ad from um, seven or eight years ago. I just happened to run, but it was a good picture of Ron and Suzanne. Prior to them being married, Suzanne was a missionary in India. And I believe Suzanne told that story here. I believe so. And uh, of, of, of what happened, the story I'm about to tell. She was a missionary in India. She went to India to work with Project Rescue. Project Rescue rescues Indian girls from sexual slavery, not only in India now, but in many countries around the world. 
So Suzanne was there working in one of those homes where they ministered to the women. They ministered to the children of these women. It's a tremendous, tremendous. How you may David Graham was here last year. Do you remember? Some of you got, this, got his books, read the story. It's a tremendous ministry. One night, she called a taxi. She got in a taxi to go somewhere. And after a little while, she realized the taxi driver was not taking her where she asked to go. They drove a long way. Suddenly, they pulled into this warehouse. Two men came out. And she didn't speak Hindi or whatever language, but she understood enough to know that they were negotiating the price that this taxi driver would sell her to these men. And suddenly the fear, she knew what these people did with women when they were sold into sexual slavery. She worked with women. She'd know she'd be tortured. She'd be raped by many men and literally brought into submission so that she would do whatever they ask of her. And in that moment, she began to cry out to God in her prayer language as loud as she could because she knew, listen, the Lord was with her in that back seat. And suddenly, she doesn't know, know what those guys saw. Suddenly, they went back into the warehouse. I don't remember how she got back home, but in a moment, it all turned around. Never forget, church, if you know him, he's with you. There's no place you can ever be or ever go that he'll leave you alone. Can you say Amen. And number four, and lastly, if Jesus is alive, and he is, and he has promised to you eternal life, you can rest in that. It was just last Sunday morning. I got word. Most of you know that I spent a number of years in the state of Michigan as a youth pastor and a pastor. Met this man while there, Dean Elliott, was a, a missionary, semi-retired now. And what he was doing, he was interming at, interming at a church in Michigan uh, the pastor had moved on, and he was kind of in between the pastor who left and the next pastor, just holding the church together. He was on his way last Sunday morning to that interim position at that church when a drunk driver going the wrong way, he was, he was instantly killed. Do you think Dan El Dean Elliott woke up last Sunday morning saying, you know what, today I'm going to meet Jesus? I don't think so. How about this woman? This was the principal of Covenant School in Nashville, Dr. Catherine Kuntz who was in a Zoom meeting when she heard shots fired. She was not armed. No one went with her. She went out of her office and she headed towards the shots and confronted the shooter in the hallway. Listen, you think those two policemen were brave and they were who went into that school, the two by themselves, but listen, they had guns on their hips and guns with them. This woman was unarmed and she confronted that shooter because she loved her kids. She, she, she died. She died, in my mind, a great hero. But listen, do you, do you think Principal Catherine Coons, Dr. Catherine Coons, woke up that morning saying, today, I'm going to be with Jesus? None of us know. And that's why you have to take a message like this seriously. Because the thought, I'll wait till, till later, may not work. Those six construction workers in the north end of the Beltway, behind a jersey wall, do you think they ever thought it possible that a car could come over that jersey wall, turn upside down, and instantly kill a number of them? No way. None of us know how much longer we will be here. But there's hope. Jesus promised eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but, everybody say but, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, I believe in a place called heaven. 
I've heard too many stories. I remember one senior that I dearly loved when I was pastoring in Michigan, and the nurses told me the story. In her last breaths, she said, I hear the angels, and I see Jesus. And that was the end. Well, how can you see something if there's nothing to see? Hello. Come on, somebody. He is alive. Can I, can I just say that if, if this life is all there is, there's a certain misery to that. Come on, when you, when you find out you're young and you have some sickness and disease, your life's going to be cut short. If this life is all there is, you got a raw deal. But if there's an eternity, if there's an endless eternity on the others, if there's a place called heaven, who on earth wouldn't want to go there? Who on earth wouldn't gladly lay down their life to get Jesus' life to know that part of that is the assurance of heaven? Now listen, a dead person can't take you beyond this life. Only someone who's alive. Only someone who went into the grave and came out alive. When John was given a revelation of Jesus as recorded in the book of Revelation. He said these words. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. He's talking about seeing Jesus. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. All right, this, this was many years after Jesus' resurrection. How could, how could John see him alive in heaven? Because he was still alive. And I love these last words. And I hold the keys of death and hell. If you understand spiritual things, when Adam and Eve fell, those keys got passed on to the devil. He became, he, became, he held those deaths of key, the, the keys of death and hell. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he went after those keys and he got them back. Come on, somebody. He said, I hold the keys. And if he holds the keys to death and hell, that means he's the one you want to look to so that you'll never die and you'll never face hell. Come on, can you say amen? So, so I asked you this morning, listen. Jesus is alive. What, what are you gonna do with that? I'm gonna ask the worship team to come. I'm gonna ask everybody who's been trained to be an altar worker, I want you to come. While everybody stands, would you do that? Everybody stand, come on. Just stand for this moment. Everybody in the house. If you're, if you're an altar worker, I need you to come. If you've been trained to pray for people, I need you to come quickly and just stand across the front here and get ready to pray for people. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you to bow your head because I want you, this, what I'm about to ask you is for you, not for the person next to you. What I'm gonna ask you is for you. So you're, you're looking into your own life. You're looking into your own heart. I wanna ask you this question. Do you know that you know that things are right between you and Jesus? Have you ever had an encounter, a moment, when you open the door of your heart and you ask him to come in and you know that he did? That happened for me at 18 years of age in a service much like this. When, when no one had to told me, tell me that I wasn't right with God, I, I knew I wasn't right with God. But in that moment, I made a surrender. I laid down my life. 
I grabbed a hold of Jesus' life. I asked him to come in. And can I tell you, I did. I can't say I felt a lot at that moment, but in days to come, I said, dear Lord, there's something going inside of me that I've never felt before. It was Jesus, and he can do it because he's alive, church. And here's what we're gonna do. Worship team, just, just begin to play something, sing something. Okay, in just a moment. I'm gonna open up these altars. If you, if you need prayer for being sick, you can come. If you want somebody to agree with you for something. But most importantly, if you are here and you need Jesus, I want you to come because I believe God brought you to this Easter service on this day because he wanted you to hear this message that he's alive. And I believe he's calling, as my wife said earlier, he's calling your name right now. Saying Bruce, Sally, whatever. Are you listening? I'm alive. Come to me and I'll never turn you away. Come on, if you need prayer for anything, I want you to get out of your seat. If you need Jesus, I want you to come. If you're sick, you need prayer to agree with you, I want you to come. If you need the Lord, I want you to get out of your seat. If you're in the balcony, I want you to come. Come on, now's the moment. Whether you're just grieving, you want somebody to pray with you, whether you need Jesus, I want you to come. This is your moment. This is, this is, this is why God brought you here today to hear, to surrender. If you're in the balcony, you say, Pastor, Pastor, uh, 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 why, why are you asking me to get out of my seat? Why, why can't I just do it where I am? Well, when Jesus went up to Matthew, the tax collector, he said to Matthew, follow me, and it required Matthew to get out of his seat and, and follow. There's just something about taking a step out. Just something about moving that Jesus responds to. I need the Lord. I need Jesus as my Savior. You got him want, you got to want him more than you care what anybody thinks. Like that woman who had that issue of blood. She didn't care. She's crawling through the crowd. She's just reaching out. If I could just touch him, I'll never be the same. When you get that desperate, your hour has come. If you come and there's, there's, there's not room when, when these people are done praying for you, they'll respond to you as well. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing this song one time through to, to give some time for these to be prayed for. And then when we're done, we're going we're gonna to dismiss for you to go and get your kids. Sound good? All right, so sing along. Would you do that? Just take this moment to, to, to reflect on what's been said here.